This week on the show, we're going to take a look at whether or not bad resellers may be impacting good resellers' business. We've got some reselling news, a little bit of what's sold, and a couple of viewer questions. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to another episode of the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. I am your host. My name is Ryan, and I am a full-time reseller, part-time YouTuber, and podcaster working out of my home here in the greater Cincinnati area. And this channel is all about the flip life. If you are watching on YouTube, you may notice a couple of little differences. I freshened up the backdrop here a little bit. We'll probably rotate through some different ones. I also, for those of you who are listening, you can let me know if you hear any difference. I am also sporting a new microphone here at the pod, a bit of an upgrade. Let me know what you think. Can you hear any difference? Do you notice any difference? Do you care (laughs) Uh, whether there's a new microphone or not? Does it it matter to you at all? The, The process of buying this microphone, however, has actually led me to kind of the lead topic for today's episode, and that is... Uh, why are there so many terrible resellers out there and how may it be affecting your business? So we're just going to jump right into that. It will just start with me ranting. For the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to buy a microphone and this is not a inconsequential purchase. I'm not trying to buy, you know, a $3 paperback with free shipping that uh, you would think a seller would just choose to ignore or not interact with, but my experiences on both eBay and Mercari have been, in a word, uh, to keep it family-friendly, we'll just call it awful. So one seller uh, couldn't be bothered to respond to a message. I asked a simple question about whether the microphone came with a particular accessory that was not pictured with the microphone, and so to this point, uh, nearly two weeks on, I have still not received a response to that message. The item is still available. Um, <laughs> so he hasn't sold it. So, you know, I, I, clearly I have already acquired another one. So I'm, I'm done with that particular fella. There was another. Uh, I actually purchased the item, paid for it immediately. And then for several days, nothing. Not to be fair, I bought it on a Saturday morning. So I didn't really expect anything to take place Saturday or Sunday, but I thought, you know, Monday, maybe I'd hear something, you know, maybe by Tuesday morning, the item would ship, but nothing. And then late Tuesday afternoon, I got a message from the seller saying, hey, sorry, I work 12-hour days on Monday and Tuesday. I haven't had a chance to ship this. I will ship it tomorrow. Okay, that's, it's not ideal, but I was willing to go with it. I sent him a message. I said, hey, I appreciate the heads up. No worries. I'll be looking for it later this week. Wednesday mostly came and went. And late in the day on Wednesday, without any notification or a message, the seller just canceled my order. (laughs) Uh, So money out of my account on Saturday morning, not back in my account, essentially until late Friday. So for all intents and purposes, an entire week with well north of $100 tied up of my uh, available funds or a seller who could not be bothered to ship the item or notify me why. I I guess in the scheme of things, it doesn't matter if he just changed his mind, whatever. Uh, But the delay of what amounted to five calendar days to cancel it was certainly not a high level of customer service. The final one, I made an offer on an item, and the seller, to his credit, accepted 
Almost immediately, I paid within five minutes of receiving the notification that my offer had been accepted. And within a couple of hours, again, to the seller's credit, I received a UPS tracking number. In fact, I even received an email from UPS saying that my item would be delivered the next day. I was pretty stoked. And then once again, two and a half days passed before the seller who had already generated a UPS label managed to get the item to a UPS drop-off point. Um, and it's again, to everybody's credit, I got the item the day after he shipped it. It was well within the eBay stated delivery window. But when you receive a tracking number and shipping notification, you assume that within a reasonable amount of time, the item will ship. I'm not sure I view personally two and a half days from point A to point B to be reasonable. So all of this got me thinking, and I did pose this question over on Instagram. I was ranting a little bit over on Instagram. Shameless plug. If you're not following me over there, it's at Galaxy CDs Rocks. How much do terrible sellers like this affect the overall business on these platforms? More importantly, how does it affect your business and my business? The ones of us who are out here kind of hustling and trying to do the right things, answering questions, no matter how crazy they may seem, responding to messages, shipping things on a timely basis, making sure products are properly described and all that, doing all the stuff we're supposed to do. How much is our business being affected by these poor sellers? And I, I don't have any way really to empirically prove this, but I would guess it's probably not an insignificant amount. If you watched last week's episode, I referenced an article that I posted about how Amazon over the last 20 odd years has basically crushed eBay. They went from eBay being the leading kind of e-commerce platform to uh, being almost an also ran and Amazon just dominating that market. And I think that one of the reasons for that is that by and large, Amazon controls their entire process through shipping their own items through Amazon FBA. There are still some merchant fulfilled sellers over on Amazon, but they seem to run a much tighter ship and it's much more customer centric. Despite us talking all the time about how eBay is always focused on the customer. These experiences, the ones that I had, I sell on this platform. So I kind of understand that we're dealing with individual sellers but I would challenge you to say if you've ever had a seller or a buyer, rather say, heard any buyer from any online platform, say they bought an item from an individual seller. They say, oh, I bought this on eBay. I bought this on Mercari. I bought this on Etsy. I bought this on Amazon. They don't say, oh, I got this from Galaxy CDs Rocks on eBay. They don't care. They don't know. Most of them have no idea that there's third parties even involved. They just assume they're buying from the site eBay, Mercari, whatever. And if if an individual, an actual consumer who's not familiar with how these platforms works had the experience that I had over the last couple of weeks trying to spend well over $100, do you think they would be inclined to continue to shop on that site? And I can't help but wonder if that is impacting our business as resellers. Uh, I just... If, if you know that you go to eBay and your order is likely to just be canceled or not shipped or whatever the case is, 
do you do you go back? Do you give them another try? And I'm not I'm not convinced that people do very frequently. I personally have not shopped on eBay a ton, despite the fact that I sell thousands of items a year there because of these experiences. And it's not just the customer experience. When I'm researching an item, and you've probably seen this too, uh, as I scroll down through various listings and I pull up an individual one, you can see some seller feedback. And almost invariably, in a lot of cases, I see negative feedback where an item was not as described, item was not shipped at all, uh, item was damaged or, you know, whatever the case may be. Again, indications of poor customer experiences. In addition to the fact that I see sellers all the time that list, for instance, a paperback book and you go into the item specifics and they have it checked as a hardcover or worse yet, as an audio book of all that. I mean, just the, the level of attention to detail that matters to customers. I know a lot of sellers think this stuff is just nonsense and nobody cares, but it makes a difference. Uh, now I have to ask the question. I see the picture and it looks like a paperback, but you've got checked in item specifics that it's a hardcover. So which is wrong? Is it the photo? Do I trust the photo or do I trust the item specific? So now either I don't buy that item at all and I look for somebody else's item, or I have to send a message and say, hey, it's this or that. Which one is it? Or maybe I just go to Amazon, where I know <laughs> uh, that by and large, the description of the product is going to be what the product is. So, man, I don't, I don't know. So I ask the question again, why do you think so many sellers are so terrible, especially the ones that uh, you're doing this to make a living? I, it's just, again... This was prompted by my personal bad experience trying to make a purchase on these platforms. But as I do research, like I said, for items, I see mislabeled and misidentified things all the time. So why is it? Is it laziness? Is it incompetence? Is it just not caring one way or the other whether these things are accurate? I, I personally just don't understand it. And the broader point for me is that it's not just affecting them and their business. If it's driving people off of these platforms, it's affecting all of us. So like I said, an incredibly frustrating experience. All's well that ends well. I finally got the microphone. In the end, I ended up with a much better deal. So it definitely ended well. I got the microphone and a boom arm and an upgraded cable and a shock mount <laughs> uh, for what amounted to $5 more than I had paid originally for the microphone that the guy canceled. So for me, in the end, I guess it worked out. It's hard to be too ticked off about it. But you see, and I mentioned this over on Instagram as well, you see sellers all the time that blame eBay for the things that they're doing that create poor business, soft sales and slowdowns and that sort of thing. And I'm not completely convinced that that is the primary cause of it. I think there is a lot to be said for the fact that bad resellers are having a big negative impact on these platforms overall. So you can let me know if you're watching this on YouTube. Leave me a comment down below. I'd really like to hear your thoughts on this. If you are listening to the podcast, you can email me at galaxycds at gmail.com and let me know what you think or you can DM me over at Instagram at galaxycdsrocks and just let me know, well, what are your thoughts on this? What do you, and I know it's not you. <laughs> I'll, I'll, let me say that. If you're watching this pod, it's not you. You're a good seller. You're, you 
you're awesome. <laughs> uh, but there are some really bad sellers out there. And I, I, I think they're costing all of us money. And I would really appreciate your feedback on that as well. So with that rant out of the way, uh, let's get into some reselling news. News updates. So eBay last week uh, published their um, holiday shipping tips pages. So I will link, as always, to all of this in the show notes and the video description below. So you can go check this out. But bring on the busy season, all the resources you need for a successful holiday season all in one place. They have the holiday shipping guide where you can quote unquote learn about market trends, shipping how to's and other important resources for sellers. There is a shipping deadline calendar, which is always very important. They also talk about the various carrier surcharges that are in place for the holiday season. And they have some seasonal tips from the, again, quote unquote pros. Uh, And then there's a bunch of other links and you can sign up for uh, eBay's newsletters and so on. So there's a lot of useful information over there. The holiday season is fast approaching. Uh, A lot of, I think we've talked about it already on the show a couple different times. A lot of the big organizations who analyze this sort of thing continue to believe that buyers will be buying earlier and earlier. So you may already be seeing some holiday shopping, although my business in the last week would indicate that that is not, (laughs) uh, in fact, the case because, man, it has been a clunker of a week uh, here at the Galaxy. But moving on, uh, Amazon uh, book ban. Sellers panic over Amazon book deactivation. I know I've got a couple of Amazon FBA sellers who are listeners and or viewers of the program, so I'd appreciate if you would chime in on this in the comments down below if you're watching on YouTube and let me know, have you experienced any of this but a reader tipped off e-commerce bites to panicking sellers who report that Amazon has deactivated their listings of books being sold through the FBA fulfillment program. There are multiple threads from sellers who woke up last Wednesday to find they're blocked from selling books. And I'd heard some rumblings about this previously. I know this also happened in the compact disc and music category sometime back where sellers who at one point were able to sell those items no longer were. A seller with the handle Undercover Books LLC explained the dilemma he's facing in a post that there is a link to in this article. We're a bookseller. Our model is simple. We send used books to Amazon FBA from our bookstore. Today, we woke up to almost all of our listings deactivated. 98% of their listings, they say, were deactivated. We went from unrestricted and approved on most books to suddenly being locked from selling books at all. We're currently not allowed to sell any books that start with 978. We're locked on all of them. I'm not allowed to apply To sell, I'm locked and told they can't accept any applications. We are absolutely shocked and flabbergasted. We have been unapproved for these books for long enough to make us confident enough to send them to FBA. I assume he meant they had been approved previously there. We've spent the last two months sending book inventory almost every day. We now have to pay nearly $2,000 to have everything removed and our book business is closed. What in the world can I do? We're simply a bookstore. Can I not sell on Amazon anymore as a bookstore owner? I've never seen or heard of something like this. I cannot believe we've been locked from selling every book title and not just some as it's always been. I'm well aware of the history of book restrictions, but I've never heard of an account being locked out of all books. So uh, there are several sellers who posted similar stories. 
The article says it could be a technical issue, but whatever the case, sellers are facing the prospect of a fourth quarter sales disaster, not to mention the the possibility of having to pay a ton of money to get their own products back from Amazon. So again, if you are a seller on Amazon FBA, particularly of books, let us know in the comments below, or again, shoot me an email, galaxycds at gmail.com, and let me know if you've seen anything like this. While all that's going on, Amazon is going to share info on new programs, deals, and FBA at their Holiday Selling Summit. Amazon will share information about new programs at a Holiday Season Seller Success Summit event next week. But interestingly, if you do not attend the event live, you'll miss out as Amazon is not making the virtual event available for replay. I don't get that at all. Uh, You're having an event that individual sellers may have scheduling conflicts with. They can't attend. They'd like to get the information and and they're not going to make this available as a replay. Uh, That just blows my mind. What appears most intriguing, they note, in the agenda published was the following. Receive information about new programs and upcoming events, such as opportunities in deals, FBA updates for peak season, and more. They will also provide information about Amazon Business, its B2B online store, and how you can surprise and delight business customers. I, I don't think I have this article in today's episode, but there was another article about how Amazon is encouraging sellers to use different pricing for B2B customers than they do for B2C business-to-consumer customers, which I find quite interesting because Amazon has, as we've talked about previously, pretty stringent price restrictions in terms of what you can do with your pricing on their site and on others. So again, if you're an Amazon seller, the event is being held on October 26th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You must register by October 25th in order to receive the live stream link and to submit questions. And again, if you're not there live, tough luck. At least as it stands, there's no plans to make a replay. Uh, Amazon is supposedly fighting the lucrative business of fake reviews. We talked about this a little bit last week with the mystery shipments going out and how fake reviews were a big, big problem on Amazon. They continue. It's offense against those who try to monetize fake reviews on its marketplace. So this is something a little bit different than that. They are chasing individuals or companies whose sole business model is to earn money by doing fake reviews for other businesses. So (laughs) in addition to companies creating their own fake reviews, now they're going after uh, firms who that's their sole business model. Amazon Vice President of Selling Partner Services, Dharmesh Mehta, said Amazon would remain relentless in identifying and enforcing against bad actors that attempt to engage in review abuse. Quote, there is no place for fake reviews on Amazon or anywhere else in the industry. Two legal proceedings in Europe plus 10 new lawsuits in the United States target bad actors that operate more than 11,000 websites and social media groups that attempt to orchestrate fake reviews on Amazon and other stores in exchange for money or free products, according to the release, which identified 21 websites related to its 10 U.S. lawsuits. So this is, again, this is big money on both sides, on all sides, and Amazon is facing some regulatory pressure to get this under control. And to their credit, Uh, They are making at least some efforts to fix this. Etsy sent out an email to sellers. They are updating some policies. Uh, Every day we work to improve the Etsy marketplace, making our platform the best it can be. 
includes regularly reviewing our terms and policies, also known as our house rules, to make sure they're meeting the needs of our growing community and ensuring we're effectively supporting you, our sellers. Today, we're sharing a few quick updates to our policies that will go into effect on December 1st of this year. There's a quick look at some of the changes. Uh, They're refining their trademark rules to make it clearer when and how shops can include references to Etsy in their own marketing materials. They're revising their affiliates policy to state that sellers who are eligible for Etsy's affiliate program can now earn a commission on sales they drive to their own shop. They're refreshing their fees and payments processes to explain that Etsy may withhold taxes on payments and sales where required by law to do so. They note they will follow up with additional information if you personally are ever affected. There is a link in this email that you should have received if you're a seller on Etsy to review the updated policies. Unfortunately, as is the case with many of these, it doesn't go to actually an update page where they just specify the updates. It goes to their whole uh, house rules page where you would have to like scroll through everything to try to find these changes. But that's kind of an update on some of the changes going on at Etsy. We talked about this a little bit ago too, um, how Etsy had purchased Depop and they were making some changes over there to try to capitalize and monetize eBay or uh, Depop rather. And they are now doing that through what they call promoted or boosted listings. Etsy introduced promoted listings on Depop, which it acquired last year for $1.6 billion. The ads are called boosted listings and sellers will pay 8% whenever any of their boosted listings sell. Uh, The article notes Etsy has to show investors that they will get a return on their $1.6 billion investment. So expect it to monetize Depop as it has with its own Etsy marketplace. Etsy executives may address the new feature when they hold their third quarter conference call with Wall Street analysts. That's coming up on November 2nd. Uh, There was a notice sent out apparently to Depop users. Get more eyes on your items with boosted listings now available on desktop. Use boosted listings to reach more buyers and promote the pieces you're selling. Your listing will be highlighted with a boosted icon to make it stand out in search results. Head to Selling Hub slash Boost Listings to try it out. There are no upfront costs. You'll only be charged the boosting fee if your item sells via a boosted tile in search. If it does, you'll be charged the 8% boosting fee on the total transaction, including shipping costs. In addition to the standard Depop selling and transaction fees, try it now. Uh, so there you go. If you're a seller over on Etsy, uh, there will be a new program that allows you to boost your listings. They already have a, uh, advertising campaign that you can do where you can pay to have listings, uh, promoted over there. So this is just, uh, one more way that they're trying to make money on their Depop purchase. One seller who was a beta tester of the program, said they tried it and uh, they did it to all 600 items in their shop. And his conclusion was it didn't do much for him. And he thought the fee was high. Uh, 8% compared to the 15% that Etsy's currently charging on the on the main Etsy site for offsite ads. I don't know. I don't, let me know what you think. I don't think 8, 8% is probably all that bad. So that is about it for the news today. I'm going to take just a moment here to uh, shamelessly plug my other podcast. If you weren't aware, I had started a music podcast some time ago. I took a little bit of a break, but now it's back and here's a little promo. 
And now we're going to chill way, way out. Several months ago, uh, before my nine-month hiatus on the show, I featured this next artist in a kind of new release episode. And I mentioned that I had been blown away by a track that had randomly appeared in my YouTube feed some months prior to that. Today, I'm going to share that track with you. Spare instrumentation with some strings and a subtle electronic beat and an absolutely haunting vocal from Margot highlight this track that just oozes with an unrequited longing. It was, yes, another of those moments that I just stopped and listened, pretty much mouth agape at the beauty of this track. It's another of those tracks that no matter how many times I've heard it, it still takes my breath away. Please enjoy Canada's Ghostly Kisses and the track Touch. That's the point at which the music would begin to play, but I can't do that here on YouTube because I'd end up with a copyright strike. <laughs> uh, so if you're inclined to listen to music, uh, the link to that is in my link tree, which is available in the show notes in the video description below and on my Instagram, or you can just search for Ryan's Random Record Hour over on Spotify. That show is only on Spotify because of the use of music. So now let's A some cues. So I had a couple of people reach out to me over the last week with some just general questions about kind of eBay promotions and, and top rated seller and that sort of thing. And I'm always a little hesitant to give like specific businesses advice because it's your business. Only you know what works best for your business. What I try to do when somebody reaches out with a question is suggest just A, what I'm doing, it's what I do on the show, is talk about the things that I'm doing and what my results are, like I did with the whole promoted listing show about a month ago. Not necessarily to recommend that you do or don't do it, but just to share my experience or to share at least an idea of some of the things that you might look at and consider when making a decision on whether something is right for your business or not. So hopefully that comes across as helpful without sounding like, I'm some kind of know-it-all, which I am certainly <laughs> uh, not. But one of the questions I got last week was, are you a top-rated plus seller on eBay? I keep getting messages from eBay that I can increase my sales if I become top-rated plus. I'm wondering if there really is an increase in sales. I know I can try it out for a month and see if I see an improvement. Just thought I'd ask some others first, though. I sell mostly books, some DVDs, and CDs. So if you're not familiar with the Top Rated Plus program, there are some kind of requirements and restrictions that you have to follow. And again, I will link to this in the show notes down below. But becoming a Top Rated Seller, you have to have an account that's been active for at least 90 days. You have to have at least 100 transactions and $1,000 in sales with U.S. buyers over the last 12 months. You have to comply with all of eBay's selling practices, policies, and you have to meet the requirements for transaction defect rate, cases closed without seller resolution and a late shipment rate. There is a an update for that available in your seller hub that shows you where you rank. And if you are above standard, below standard, and where you would rank among those things. On top of all of that, to be a top rated seller plus, you have to offer either same day or one day business handling, which for a lot of folks is just not practical, particularly if you are not a full-time seller. And the one that I think probably holds more people up than not, you have to offer 30-day or longer free returns. This return thing is always a sore subject on, 
on any of the sites. But with sellers, a lot of them just don't want to take any returns, let alone offer free returns and to offer them for 30 days or longer. And I totally understand that. And again, that's one of the reasons you have to evaluate your business and decide whether these things make sense or not. Now, one of the things that I recommended that this person do is to look at, because regardless of whether you take returns or not, you get a certain amount of them because eBay by and large approves most returns for whatever reason. And consumers, they know how to game the system. They know what to put in as a reason for a return to get eBay to override your personal no return policy. So you probably already have some returns. And what I did when I evaluated whether it made sense for me was to evaluate how much potentially I would be spending in essentially return shipping to offer free returns. The item coming back, unless there's something wrong with it or it's been damaged by the customer, I have an opportunity to sell it again. So I don't, you know, the lost business for that moment of time is not ideal, but it's just part of the cost of doing business. I don't really, I don't get that bent out of shape about that, but I do want to know, am I going to spend a lot of money potentially paying to have stuff shipped back to me if I offer these free returns. In my particular case, I've had three returns in the last year. So it's probably cost me less than $20 worth of shipping. And I have saved hundreds of dollars in fees because part of the top rated seller plus program, you receive uh, the, the happy little top rated plus seal, which is what they indicate should improve your sales. And again, I have no empirical evidence whether that impacts your business or not. I don't think it can obviously hurt your business, but I don't know that it has the big impact that they probably think it does. But you get a 10% discount on your standard final value fees, which is calculated on the total amount of the sale, including shipping and tax. It does not count towards the 30 cent per order transaction fee. That's fine. That's three cents. <laughs> not that worried about it. Uh, but a 10% reduction in fees is pretty substantial. Uh, my fees so far year to date are nearly $3,000. So that's a, that's a pretty hefty discount compared to the less than $20 I've spent in return shipping. So if you sell in a category that has a historically low return rate, being a top-rated plus seller and offering those free 30-day returns is probably not a bad bargain. Again, you have to make that decision whether you want to go through all that drama to save what can amount to a fairly decent amount of money on your eBay fees. Now, of course, you have to continue to hit all of the various metrics to maintain your top-rated seller status. Again, if you're running your business right, going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the episode... That really shouldn't be an issue for you. Uh, and if you're watching this show, I know you're doing that right. <laughs> uh, so it, there are benefits there. Now, if you sell in a category that has a historically high return rate, say, for instance, clothing, this is a much more tricky proposition. You're, if, if you've got to be selling a lot more stuff to accumulate a lot more fees to save the 10% on to account for what in some cases might be as high as a five, six, seven percent return rate. That's a lot of back and forth shipping and a lot of extra material handling to save 10% on your fees. So again, that's my advice. I don't know that it has a huge impact on your sales. The fee savings is nice if it's off if it more than offsets what you expect to take back in returns. You'll have to take a look at your own selling metrics and your own business model to determine 
whether or not that makes sense. Another question that I got. Uh, hi, Ryan. Sorry to bother you on football day. Hey, no worries. <laughs> uh, need a little advice again. I started doing the promoted listings, and I'm not sure if I use the suggested rate or go lower rate. And at the time of listing, or should I wait and see if it sells first? I want to answer that first part of this first. I'm not using their suggested rate. I, I've watched a lot of videos of other sellers, most of whom are also not using the suggested rate. Again, that's a personal business decision. For my part, I'm using 5% across the board. So again, you can do what you want. I think Resale Dojo does 5% across the board. Um, I'm pretty sure there are, I, I interviewed um, a fellow, I can't why am I, his, uh, eBay Addicts. Man, his name was escaping me there for a minute. He's doing a flat 5%. So that seems to be a flat percentage. I know there were a lot of people that were doing 1% prior to eBay eliminating the 1% option. Now the least you can do is two. That's a decision that you need to make in different categories. A different number may make more or less sense, but there you go. Uh, Should you wait and see if the item sells first? I know Resale Dojo does that. I usually just throw everything into my promoted listings in kind of bulk uploads two or three times a week as I do my 50, 80, 100 plus listings over a couple of days, I'll just go in and shuffle them all in there. I'm doing, I'm listing too much product to try to determine for my own part. Uh, These have only been up two days. These have been up five days. These have been up a week. I just throw them all in there. So again, that's a personal business decision. I would rather have them all, again, my personal choice promoted and try to take advantage of that program. But Every seller could have their own choice on that. Uh, also went back and watched your video on running a markdown sale. I have a lot of DVDs that have been listed for over a year and a half now with no views. If I run the markdown, do I also need to add promoted to them? So I don't know. The markdown sale, I do it all the time for old inventory like that. And it obviously it lowers the price. And if it's not getting a view because it's overpriced in the market, then maybe the markdown sale will help, but it's not necessarily going to help by itself. The promoted listings, you could do that in conjunction with the markdown. But again, it's a decision that you need to make how much margin, how much money are you willing to sacrifice? Because you're going to pay your standard fees when the thing sells. You've marked down the item, whatever, 10, 20, 30%. And that is all just profit being given away because your cost of goods sold didn't change. So you're just giving away profit when you take a markdown sale. And if you do promoted listings on top of it, now you're adding another whatever percentage you've chosen. So all of a sudden you're giving away a pretty significant amount of margin to run, to kind of stack all of those promotions. The flip side of that is you've had this inventory for a year and a half and it doesn't have any views. So your motivation at this point, maybe to just get rid of this product and just get out of it, make what you can on it and get on to the next thing, generate a little bit of cash. Even if you lose a few pennies on the thing, just to get rid of it and get on to the next thing. So again, it's a personal business decision. I generally stack all of those things together because I'm my margins, my gross margins are still 95 and 96%. So I can afford to stack all of those fees and discounts on top of each other. And still, generally speaking, on any individual item, I can still come out ahead. So for me, I want as much exposure to my items as I can, and I'm stacking all that stuff together. 
It's a personal choice whether you choose to do that. And it depends on your business model and your cost of goods sold, whether that actually makes sense for you. Uh, what do you think of running all my DVDs promoted? I would, I've, I have my entire store right now on promoted listings that I talked about in that video a few weeks ago. And uh, at least until things really just slowed down overall, it had been a massive improvement in my business. So uh, I shudder to think, based on what my business has been like in the last week, what it would be without promoted listings, which are not quite half of the stuff I've sold. Uh, but yeah, I would I would probably do it on all of them. But again, that's my choice. Haven't made it that far yet in setting up promotions rates. Thanks for helping and hope I'm making sense. So hopefully that helps. Again, it's a choice that you need to make based on those things. And those are some of the metrics that I would look at. What's my cost of goods sold? How much can I afford to spend in advertising and how much margin can I afford to give away with a discount and or can I afford to do all of those things? And additionally, even if I can't, does it make sense to do that just to get rid of the item? Am I prepared to lose a little bit of money on paper on the item just to get rid of it? For instance, in my case, most of my stuff comes from bulk purchases that have long ago been paid for. So while on paper, an individual item I might lose money on, I'm already way in the profit on the the deal where that product came from. So I'm not that bent out of shape about flipping finally something that I've had in my inventory for a year or more uh, and being able to get out of it. So again, hopefully that helps. With that out of the way, we've got one more segment. And this is a long show. Let's talk about just a few things, speaking of sales, that have sold here at the Galaxy. I think I've only got four this week because as I mentioned, <laughs> uh, it's been pretty slow here the last week. Uh, this first item is on Mercari Jade Tales from Micheline Morrill. This was from 1964. It was a U.S. first printing. So this was originally published, I believe, in Europe. It was an illustrated hardcover from Universe Publishing. If you're watching on YouTube, it's another one of those that you can see is not necessarily in pristine condition. There's some damage at the top of the spine. The cover's a little worn. This was an interesting one because the the buyer, the potential buyer, reached out to me on Mercari and asked if I could ship this by priority. All of my Mercari listings I have as free shipping, but with media mail. So what I did was I grabbed this book and decided if it would fit in a priority mail padded envelope flat rate. And I just added the, the expected difference in the cost between what it was going to cost me for regular media mail and the padded flat rate. I tacked an extra $5 onto the price of my item and she bought it. This is a book that I own for less than four cents and sold for $24 with the aforementioned free shipping. This was a really neat old book also from that big lot. So another four and a half center. A Scandinavian Summer by Harry A. Frank. This was a 1930 first printing illustrated book from Century Publishing, hardcover with its dust jacket. This dust jacket was in pretty good condition for a book that's quickly approaching 100 years old. Again, my cost of goods sold was under a nickel. I had it listed for $39.99. It was in my 30% off sale. I had a watcher, I sent out a 15% off offer, and it sold for $23.79 plus media mail shipping. A CD, uh, 
uh, media picker. This one's for you. Mary McCaslin, Way Out West. This was a new CD on Rounder Records. Uh, very hard to find album. I had it listed for $49.99 or best offer. It was in my 30% off sale this month and sold for $34.99. This was part of the big 8,000 odd CD lot I did a couple of years ago. My cost of goods sold on this is about 3.2 cents. And this is the last thing I got this week. Told you it was going to be short. The The title updated, so the title is not quite right if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, After Armageddon, God's New World. I have uh, a big lot of these old vintage Watchtower Jehovah Witness booklets from the, I think the 1940s and 50s. I had a buyer that reached out to me on Mercari asking if I would do a a combination lot of three of these, which is what I did. They bought two others in addition to this. I own these things for 10 cents a piece and they sold for $38 with free shipping. Uh, The old Watchtower Jehovah Witness stuff, you can usually get it pretty cheap. They're not necessarily fast sellers, but for what you can get them for, they end up bringing pretty good money. So that is about a wrap on a fairly lengthy show, please be sure that you comment uh, and let me know what you think about my earlier rant uh, about bad sellers and how they may be affecting your business. If you got something out of this show today and you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor and hit that thumbs up button. It really helps the channel. If this is your first time here and you're not already a subscriber on YouTube or a follower of the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, please consider doing that as well. I would love to have you on board. You can also let me know what you think of the new setup, Uh, particularly if you're listening to the podcast. Does it sound different and or do you care? (laughs) Uh, With that said, I hope everybody has a great week and you're getting geared up for the, uh, again, rapidly approaching fourth quarter, which hopefully will be a very busy time for all of us. So now it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.